Welcome to London Living, a solid hope in uncertain times. This is a podcast on the challenges we face as modern Londoners. Today we're going to be hearing from Vera Rose. We asked Vera to share her experience of racism and injustice. Hi Vera, thanks so much for coming in. Uh, we're really excited to hear your story. Would you be able to just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, um, what are the things you're passionate about? Sure, yes. Thank you so much for having me. Um, um, I'm Vera and um, I work in finance in the city of London. Um, I enjoy running. Um, I've run seven marathons, so uh, yeah. One year I did two marathons, so I spent eight months in a year. Whoa. Training back to back. Okay. Yes. How close were the two marathons? Um, London. It was London. London was in April, okay. and um, Amsterdam was in October. So, I trained from December to March to run in April, mm-hmm. and then had a month off and trained in the summer to run in October. Wow. And never again. Not two. It always be one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Seven is a lot. Yeah. Wow. Yes. You're at church. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So um, I'm a Christian. Christchurch Mayfair is my home church. How long yes. have you been at CCM? Um, I think this is my 12th year. Okay. Um, wow. So it's been a while. <laughs> and um, I have great church family. Um, it is home. It's my comfort. It's my people, my friends. Um, and, you know, long to see everyone in heaven. How has the current climate kind of affected your day-to-day life and your experience? Yes, indeed. My day-to-day life seems to have been stable until the last two months um, when people have asked me about injustices in my personal life, which I don't think anyone had asked me that question before. Hmm. So um, when my DG group asked the question, I was taken aback. And rightly so that they ask. And I'm thankful that they ask because mm. since they ask, it has become a bit comfortable every time someone asks me okay. to talk about it. Mm. For you personally, could you tell us some of your experiences mm. of facing injustice and racism? Sure, yes. Um, where do I start? Do I start from the beginning or work from the end backwards? Um, I think... Um, my first, I'll start with my first encounter of that um, was um, early 90s. Um, we lived in Bayswater. And um, one morning, um, my dad had left for work. My mum and siblings were traveling, were not in London at the point. And I remember the door going, the knock, the knock on the door opened and there was four police officers. I was in my pyjamas, it was around maybe nine o'clock, 10. My dad had left for work, so I wasn't fully awake Mm -hmm. when they opened, they knocked. And they said they had received a call to say there was an illegal immigrant in the building. So I looked around the room and thought, where? Maybe they have just jumped from another garden into ours. But they said no, because clearly they had a description and it's an area where maybe there wasn't a lot of people looking like us. So um, 
I told them there's no one here like that. They seem to, you know, they have that, you know, they're describing me. Like, <laughs> so um, I said, um, I will, you know, what do they need from me? And my, and that's my dad was away. And they said, you know, we need to take you in. And I said, um, let me call my dad I, and ask them where my passport is, because I don't know any teenager who carries their passports mm. around at that age and even know where their parents kept these things. They wouldn't let me use the phone. They said they will call when we get to the police station and that they had to take me in. So I got changed and I was handcuffed and taken to a police car. I was in the middle, two people on the side and two at the front. Went to Paddington Police Station near Ed opposite Edgware Road Station. I was confused. I, I was, it wasn't something I had, I didn't know anything about this. No one had prepped me for this. I don't know anyone who something like this had happened to them. So we go in and um, they did what they had to do. I wasn't involved and they asked me to sit. And then I asked them to call my dad. And they said they will call my dad. I'd given them the number. They said, okay, they will call. But um, they were not in a hurry to call. They were in a hurry to process whatever they needed to process. So then um, they said um, I couldn't sit at where they asked me to sit and that they have to take me into a cell. I was shocked. I was crying. I asked them to call my dad. They were just leading me to the cell in the basement. And um, I was taken in and then the door shut. And I'm um, sitting on this blue mattress on a slab of cement. There was a silver toilet and I think a sink. It's all, it was three things in the room, so I do remember very well. Mm. And then... I looked up, there was a small window, so I knew I was in the basement because I could see some light from above and just sat there in tears, didn't know what to do. Everything was wrong, but um, no one was seeing that. It was only one way, which is their way. And someone came and asked if I needed water at some point. I said, um, no. yes, so they gave me some water. And then lunchtime came and they asked if I needed some lunch. And I said, no, but they, and then asked if they've called my dad. And then the lady said she would do that. She would go up and check. So eventually um, someone let me out. I would have been there maybe about three hours, but it felt like a day. And um, we went up and they had a gentleman who introduced himself as um, of duty lawyer. So that also took me back because that's not my dad. Mm. <laughs> so it took me into a room with this gentleman and started recording something, started an interview, had the recorder on. And my back was facing the door. So whilst he was asking he started asking the question. I, t 
told the guy, the lawyer, um, I had given them my dad's number and that if he can ask them if they've called him. Mm. Not long before that, I think someone had given a sign behind the door because it's, it has um, a glass in the middle. So um, the guy we, who was interviewing seemed a bit distracted. So mm. I looked back and I saw someone there ushering him to come out. So he stopped the interview. We had probably done maybe three minutes of it, my name and address. So he went out and then came back and um, stopped the interview. And then within 20 minutes, they said my dad was here. So they hadn't called my dad oh. since morning and just had just rushed to just process mm. something because they got a call. Mm. And, you know, it was just them just processing another person yeah. who they thought was illegal and won't even give the person the chance to even speak or call mm. their family, you know, a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, that came and we left. I was very distraught. I was just so broken. I was very sad. I think I'd cried all day. It was just so long. It was just so sad. It was just so unnecessary. Mm. My dad and his friend, who is also a lawyer, came and I remember everyone wanting me to sue the police. And I just didn't want to have anything to do with that. I just wanted all to stop, you know, like mm. just walk away and just not come back. Mm. Yeah, so um, I think because I was broken, um, my dad's friend said um, to come and stay with them and just have his wife like look after me. So I didn't go to the flats. I just went with them and stayed with them in mm. Mano Park. I remember staying with this family and just not saying very much. You know, I didn't want to go out for a walk. I just wanted to be sleeping in bed and just do nothing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So that was one in London. Which, that was the first one. And then um, I think um, I went on a business trip in Frankfurt. It was December. I was staying for two weeks. Um, and the weekend came, I left my hotel to go and walk around and just leave the room so they can clean it. So, um, went to a shopping area as you do. Um, it's, it was December because the things I bought, the plan was to use some in Germany and bring some home as gift because I wouldn't have time to do Christmas shopping then. Mm -hmm. So I went to this shop and bought some stuff. It came to about 77 or 76 euros. And um, I asked for a bag. It was toiletries, so it was small things, but lots of it. Mm. And the lady said they didn't have the bags. So I asked for a box and she wouldn't give me a box. I asked for a big bag to just take the stuff with me. Um, she said, um, 
they don't give that to. So um, I thought to take two items and just refund the rest because I could carry the two with me. She also said um, they don't do refunds. But at that point, she was really angry because I'm asking a lot of things. I'm asking for plastic bag. I'm asking for box and now a refund. And then spoke to the other colleague about it. And they started being very unkind to me in the shop. So at which point I thought, okay, I won't even take the two items. I will just ask for a refund, full refund, and then I will leave the shop. They won't do that. So I just stood in the shop. And the whole time I hadn't said anything. I wasn't rude to them. I was polite. And also the other thing at that point I knew is even when you're speaking up, you may be coming across as aggressive or, you know, they will label you very quickly and not even listen to the point you're trying to put across. So in circumstances like this, I'm overly chilled. I try to strip it back. I'm not someone who is aggressive or anything like that, but I try to say very little and just calm because I don't want them to take the attention of what is happening and just have this stereotype image of a black woman mm. in their mind and therefore they expect me to act in a certain way. So I'm aware of these things. So I try to not give them that and just stick to the point. At which point, so people are coming in the shop asking, asking them why I was there. They're telling them. And then they called, they said they'll call the police. And I said, you can call them. You know, just give me my money and I will leave the shop. And they did call the police. And two police guys come. It's a pedestrian shop, pedestrian shopping area. So they packed outside on the pavement outside the shop to block me or people from going out. And when they came, they asked, one asked the girl what the matter was. And then the other guy asked me where my passport was. And at that point, I was so disappointed because again, you know, he just saw me and I don't think, I don't know what the lady said to them for them to come to the shop. But as a person in uniform, you just have to treat people. You're taught to treat, trained to treat people equally. And, you know, asking me what the matter was would have been perfect. But, you know, first thing he asked was my passport. So um, I said my passport was in the hotel, but that wasn't the question I expected. I didn't tell him straight away. I said, I asked him to ask me the right question because that wasn't the question his friend, his colleague asked the other girl. It wasn't German and, you know, there's basics we all know. So um, I insisted and eventually he asked me the right question. And I told him, and then he checked that with his colleague and then they agreed to give me the money back. So they asked the lady to open the till and give me the money back. I paid with a card, but they had to give me cash. 
So um, that's finished. I thought that's done, but the police would not let this lie. They had to see my passport. So again, I was led out of the shop in the police car to my hotel. And for me, the worst of all this wasn't even in the shop, but my hotel, because when I got there around three o'clock and people were in the lobby, I walk in with two police officers. One goes to the receptionist and then one follows me up. But whilst we were in the car, I called the office manager because I'd planned on having dinner with her that day. So whilst I was in the car, I told her what was, had happened in the shop. And so she asked me to pass my phone to the police officer whilst we're driving to my hotel. And I could hear her shouting on the other side at them. So they passed the phone back. When we got to the hotel, she was also there. I didn't see her when we got there, but when I came down after I'd shown the police officer my passport, I, I saw a commotion in the lobby area and this, this girl, German white girl, just having it on my behalf. Mm. And um, I remember when we got to my door, he had his foot by the door. And I just thought, why? You know, mm. and... Do you think if I was illegal, we'll be going through this all the way to this point? And he says, well, that's not the point. He needs to see my passport. So I gave him my passport. He looked and then gave it back. And so he said, thank you. And I was really angry. And, but I wasn't showing any of this. But I thought if I stayed in my room, it would make it worse because I was... I had been treated very unfairly from like midday, you know, and I needed to be out. So I left. I wanted to also walk with him to the reception and hopefully the people will see me and hopefully reverse what they thought mm. was the reason why I came there with them. And when I got there, I saw my colleague having it with them. So, um, I had to comfort her and just tell her, look, just, you know, it's not worth it. And then um, she kept apologizing and I said, you know, there is nothing to apologize. But um, we had dinner that night and um, I had to stay in the hotel another week before I came home. And I think that was the longest and the hardest because I hadn't, had the time to process this. I'm still in the hotel, you know, the receptionist and everyone sees me, people were in the lobby, you know, I'm, I've got another week, I'll see them at breakfast. So um, Monday I decided not to go to breakfast, just not, you know, just get ready and leave for work and then I can pick something on my way. Mm. Um, I got to the office on Monday morning and my colleague had shared you know, the disgust of the whole thing with other colleagues. Mm. So I walked in and, you know, everyone comes to me and says, sorry. And, you know, that was also very hard because I had not, I thought I had the plan for the hotel. You know, I don't have to have breakfast mm. and then I'll go back late. 
but I don't have the plan for the office because I need to be in with them from nine till five or six. So that was also very hard every day that week, having to deal with this when I come to work and then have to deal with it, on, you know, when I get to the hotel because, yeah, so that was not a nice week. And now kind of looking at the last couple of months, having to, having more of the opportunity to share these stories and go back to them, mm. what's your reflections on it now? What are your feelings about it? Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm smiling as we're talking, you know, now. And I don't think I would have been able to do that before that. It's something I had packed somewhere. You know, it happened. I don't know if it will happen again, but if it does, I just deal with it as much as I can and then just move on. Because um, I'm also aware that um, God is in control. I don't see it when it's happening, but I see evil and sin, how it just unfolds very quickly and I'm still so slow and shocked and they are on a different level. So I think um, I'm aware of um, sin and how very quickly, you know, it may, it may start well, you know, but very quickly this escalates to a place where it shouldn't be. Even in the last two months, I was in the park maybe a month ago with my DG group, having coffee, London Bridge area. And this guy shuffled across to the group who was sat in a circle. And he was really, really offensive. He was racist. He was abusive. He was angry. And he felt to take his injustice, the injustices he's faced himself on me and remind me. So this is a black guy. To rem and I think when it clocked to him that I was with the group, that angered him a lot. And so he took his anger on me and was very racist to the group. And when this was happening, I was just trying to bring this to the Bible. So whilst he was talking, it was just reminding me that I don't look like the people I am with and that I'm a talking for them and that I'm a cleaner. He had looked at the external and reminded or shown me that we are all different and look at them and you're different from them. So I wanted to show him what is not visible which is to show him that I am different, I know that, but we do have one thing in common, which is Jesus. So we are united. So we are brothers and sisters hanging out, you know, but he was so aggressive. So I, I just abandoned it in my head and thought, you know, I don't even know where to go with this. We'll be quiet and wait for him to finish. But at the time, I was so embarrassed. I didn't want these people to hear this. 
this is very unnecessary. So this is, yes, in the last two months, the talks hasn't been just one way. You know, people who feel they've been done by one way or the other are taking it on other people for absolutely the wrong reason. Like, there's no, you know, you're, you're just doing exactly the same thing you think someone has done to you. You're doing exactly the same thing to me. And how is that right? Mm. And God will write that too. You know, make that right one day. Thankfully, I was meeting a couple in the park afterwards. So when I saw them, I was able to speak to them straight away. So you see how, like, over time, it's easier. You know, because they have asked, they asked me the last time, I was able to speak to someone straight away. Whereas in the past, I haven't been allowed to speak. That had been taken away from me or the person I'm with is so broken about the situation that I had to comfort them so I don't speak about my own. And this time I have brothers and sisters to talk this through with them without having to keep it in for as long as I've done with some of the stories. Mm. You know, some of my friends will be shocked. Even my family will be shocked to hear this because they probably know about the Bayswater incidents. My dad, because they were traveling, but my dad was around. But I think no one knows this. So this will be a shock to them. How does your faith in Jesus transform your kind of reaction to those things in the past and also how you face injustices now moving forward? Mm. Yes. Um, you know, all I have is Jesus. I have nothing. You know, I have him. And that changes the way I live. That changes who is in control of these situations. You know, the Bible tells us in Revelations about how all tribes, all people of all nations, all languages will be there. The access to that is through Jesus. So, I try every day, I fail most of the time, but I do try every day to live distinctly for him. Be it in the workplace, my commute, being with, even with friends or family or even when I'm on my own because, you know, I'm a sinner and, you know, things goes, in, goes on in my heart. And he sees that other people may not. So when I see all these injustices, I am definitely aware of his promises too. And I know that he is the ultimate judge. It makes me long for heaven even more. It makes me humble because, you know, he has loved me first so I can try and love the unloving and that is hard 
even, you know, yes, injustices can be on an institutional level. And it also, when you zoom in, it goes to our own, you know, I can talk to colleagues who may say something which they may not realize is not a kind thing to say. I can try and not be angry when they say that, but to try and be their friends so that I will have the opportunity to enlighten them of what they said and how it's unloving or it will come across as unloving. So yes, when I have had, I have had such conversations, I walk away and think, what's just happened there? Why, you know, like, why am I being friends with someone who is so horrible? But that also leads to conversation because then when I'm their friend, then we can talk about it and I can make references to where my, you know, where this is coming from. And, you know, what I can do is being able to share my experience with others and hear other people's experience too. Because once I hear others, other people's experience, I am encouraged. I know I'm not alone in this. And also I know that he will, you know, right that's wrong. He will make it right one day. So that is how I, you know, I share my experience, not in rage or anger. And sometimes I'm disappointed that that's the only, you know, when I leave a place, that's the only thing that is remembered. And, you know, not Jesus or not have the opportunity to share, you know, you know, the goodness of Christ with them, but just leave. And sometimes that leaves me a bit sad because it just overshadows. And if they know of Jesus, they will know of his promises and how people from all nations, all languages will be there with him in unity. And that gives me so much hope. That reminder makes me long for heaven that reminder makes me want to keep living for him and not be ashamed of the gospel because that's the transformation that's, you know, you see now. You know, the last time we spoke, I cried, right? And, you know, he's taking the bed and there's no shame. You know, sin is prevalent in this world. And it comes in all shapes and forms. And, you know, the only person who fights that and fought that completely is Jesus. Is there anything else you kind of would like to add? Last thing to say? Uh, any message to anyone that might be listening? Um, yes. Um, you know, God is sovereign over everything. He made us in his image. So we're that precious to him. And sometimes when these things happen, I don't think people do feel that, you know, feel they are that precious. You know, for my Christian friends, just keep trusting him. And um, trust his promises. Every one of it will come to pass. And, you know, 
I want to see the new me in heaven with that glorious, you know, with Jesus, mm. you know, in his full glory and in my full glory. That blows my mind. So for my Christian friends, um, just, um, just keep asking the questions. If it's difficult for you, then it's difficult for other people, you know, the questioner. You know, the Bible tells, speaks about the foreigner. It also says this is a temporary place for us. So this is not home. So when we see these injustices, we pray, we act. And we act not for ourselves, but we act for others and to glorify God is the ultimate. You know, because the Bible also tells us to Respect people in authority and this holding that truth. You know, alongside all these injustices is really hard. But we know that Jesus had the ultimate sacrifice through all the injustices he faced and he triumphed. So we will triumph in the end. But whilst we wait, we wait well. We keep trusting and support those who have their own shame and not feel they can speak to anyone about it. From friends who do not know Christ, spend some time and just have a look at you know Jesus's claims for yourself, not what other people say. Just you know, I've said what I have to say because I have investigated myself and I've seen it with my eyes. Just find out yourself, even if you don't believe, just see if what I'm saying is true. Is it in the Bible? And why does it say that? You know, because at the cross, both things, we can't hold truth together, love and judgment. At the cross, Jesus showed us that both, not one or the other. So I would encourage them to just check it out. Ask me. Hmm. Yeah, don't look at me, but just ask me. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Vera, for coming in and just being willing to share your experience. I know it's been really tough, but it's been a real privilege for me to hear it and yeah just to to listen to your experiences but most of all to just hear how God has been at work through them all and yeah it's incredible just it's a real challenge for me to hear you speak about these horrible situations and be able to do it with such grace and kindness um, and that's a work of God so thank you Thank you so much for having me and thank you for making this conversation so easy. Even though, um, yeah, like I said, the shame is no more. So I can speak easily about it. <laughs> I can also see my friends and church family at some point mm. and not feel the shame. Mm. Yeah. So thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of London Living, a solid hope in uncertain times. This is a podcast produced by Christchurch Mayfair. 
We produce this series to provoke discussion about the challenges we face in 2020. You can find out more on our website, christchurchmayfair.org forward slash London Living. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, please contact Nick at christchurchmayfair.org.